Welcome to Bite at a Time Books Behind the Story, where we answer the questions you have about your favorite classic authors. What inspired your favorite author to write their novels? What was going on in the world at the time? Follow along with us as we tell you what was happening in the world while your favorite authors wrote your favorite classics. My name is Brie Carlisle, and I love to read and wanted to share my passion with listeners like you. If you enjoy our show, be sure to follow us so you get all the new episodes. We would also love for you to drop us a rating on your favorite podcast platform and share our show with your friends. You can catch us on all the social medias at Bite at a Time Books. If you would also like to hear a story by the author we are currently featuring, check out the Bite at a Time Books podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Today we'll be talking about the publishing disputes and film of Lucy Maud Montgomery. Starting in 1917, Montgomery was engaged in five bitter, costly, and burdensome lawsuits with Louis Coy's Page, owner of the publishing house L.C. Page & Company. That continued until she finally won in 1928. Page had a well-deserved reputation as one of the most tyrannical figures in American publishing, a bully with a ferocious temper, who signed his authors to exploitative contracts and liked to humiliate his subordinates, including his mild-mannered younger brother George, in public. Montgomery received seven cents on the dollar on the sale of every one of the Anne books, instead of the 19 cents on the dollar that she was entitled to, which led her to switch publishers in 1917 when she finally discovered that Page was cheating her. When Montgomery left the firm of L.C. Page & Company, Page demanded she sign over the American rights to Anne's House of Dreams, and when she refused, he cut off the royalties from the earlier Anne books. Even though he did not own the U.S. rights to Anne's House of Dreams, Page sold those rights to the disreputable publishing house of Grosset & Dunlap as a way of creating more pressure on Montgomery to capitulate. Instead, Montgomery sued Grosset and Dunlap. Page was counting on the fact that he was a millionaire and Montgomery was not, and that the prospect of having to spend thousands in legal fees would force her to give in. Much to his surprise, she did not. Montgomery hired a lawyer in Boston and sued Page in the Massachusetts Court of Equity for illegally withholding royalties due her and for selling the U.S. rights to Anne's House of Dreams, which he did not possess. In 1920, the house where Montgomery grew up in Cavendish was torn down by her uncle, who complained that too many tourists were coming onto the property to see the house that inspired the house in which Anne was depicted as growing up. Montgomery was very sentimental about that house, and the news of its destruction caused her great pain. Between May and July 1920, Montgomery was in Boston to attend court sessions with Page, who taunted her by telling her the Anne books were still selling well, making him millions. In 1920, Montgomery was infuriated with the 1919 film version of Anne of Green Gables for changing Anne from a Canadian to an American, writing in her diary, It was a pretty little play well photographed, but I think if I hadn't already known it was from my book, that I would never have recognized it. The landscape and folks were New England, never P.E. Island. A skunk and an American flag were introduced, both equally unknown in P.E. Island. I could have shrieked with rage over the latter. Such crass, blatant Yankeeism. Reporting on the film's premiere in Los Angeles, one American journalist described Anne of Green Gables as written by a Mr. Montgomery, who's only mentioned in passing two-thirds into the article, with the major focus being on the film's star, Mary Miles Minter, who was presented as the true embodiment of Anne. 
Montgomery disapproved of Minter's performance, writing she portrayed a sweet, sugary heroine utterly unlike my gingerly Anne, and complained about a scene in the film where Anne used a shotgun to threaten people with, writing that her Anne would never do such a thing. Montgomery had no say in either the 1919 or 1934 versions of Anne of Green Gables, as the publisher Elsie Page had acquired the film rights to the story in 1908, and as such, all of the royalties paid by Hollywood for both versions of Anne of Green Gables went to him, not Montgomery. Montgomery stopped writing about Anne in about 1920, writing in her journal that she had tired of the character. By February 1921, Montgomery estimated that she had made about $100,000 from the sale of the Anne books, while declaring in her diary, it's a pity it doesn't buy happiness. She preferred instead to create books about other young female characters, feeling that her strength was writing about characters who were either very young or very old. Other series written by Montgomery include the Emily and Pat books, which, while successful, did not reach the same level of public acceptance as the Anne volumes. She also wrote a number of standalone novels, which were also generally successful, if not as successful as her Anne books. On August 20, 1921, Montgomery started writing what became the novel Emily of New Moon, as she planned to replace Anne with Emily as the star of a new series of novels. The character Emily was partly autobiographical, as Emily's dream was to be a writer when she grew up. Unlike Anne, who does not have clear goals about what she wants to be when she grows up, Emily Starr knows she wants to be a writer, a characteristic she shared with Montgomery. One aspect that Emily, Anne, and Montgomery all shared was the Flash, the mystical power that Montgomery called in Emily of New Moon the wonderful moment when the soul seemed to cast aside the bonds of the flesh and spring upward towards the stars, allowing the soul to see behind the veil to a transcendent beauty. In 1925, a Massachusetts court ruled in favor of Montgomery against her publisher, Louis Coos Page, as the judge found that he had systematically cheated her out of the profits from the Anne books since 1908. Page used every conceivable excuse to avoid paying Montgomery what he owed her, and after his brother George died of a heart attack in 1927, accused Montgomery of causing his brother's death by suing him for her rightful shares of the royalties. In fact, Lewis Page was not close to George, who had just left the firm of L.C. Page & Company to get away from his abrasive and arrogant brother before he died of a heart attack aged 52. In October 1928, Montgomery finally won, while Page, a sore loser to the end, continued to insist in public that she had caused the death of his brother, which he used as a reason why he should not have to pay Montgomery anything. Page, who was a notorious bully, waged a campaign of harassment against Montgomery, sending her telegrams accusing her of causing his brother's death and the subsequent mental breakdown of his widow by defeating him in court, asking her if she was pleased with what she had allegedly done. Page's behavior badly damaged his business, as no author chose to publish with a publisher who had revealed himself to be both dishonest and vindictive. And after the 1920s, Page's publishing house largely depended upon reissuing older books rather than issuing new books, as authors took their business elsewhere. On November 7, 1928, Montgomery received a check for the 15,000 U.S. dollars out of which auditors had established Page had cheated her. 
In terms of sales, both in her lifetime and since, Montgomery was the most successful Canadian author of all time. But because her books were seen as children's books and as women's books, she was often dismissed by the critics, who saw Montgomery as merely a writer for schoolgirls and not as a serious writer. In 1924, the Maple Leaf magazine asked its readers to nominate the 14 greatest living Canadians, and all of the winners were men. Montgomery only made the runners-up list to the 14 greatest Canadians, coming in at 16. However, Montgomery did make it onto another list of the 12 greatest living Canadian women. Hamill argued that Montgomery was successful at managing her fame, but the media's fixation on presenting her as the idealized woman writer, together with her desire to hide her unhappy home life with her husband, meant that her creation Anne, whose life was more knowable and easier to relate to, overshadowed her both in her lifetime and after. Thank you for joining Bite at a Time Books behind the story today. While we answered some of the questions you have about one of your favorite classic authors, if you enjoy our show, be sure to follow us so you get all the new episodes. If you want to see exclusive behind the scenes of our show, join our Patreon. We would also love for you to drop us a rating on your favorite podcast platform and share our show with your friends. You can catch us on all the social medias at Bite at a Time Books. If you would also like to hear a story by the author we are currently featuring, check out the Bite at a Time Books podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, my name is Brie Carlisle, and I hope you come back next time when we answer more questions about one of your favorite classic authors.